I'm Bill Castle, and this is Free Expression. This program is all about conveying the Christian message from a Catholic point of view and defending the liberty which makes it possible to do that. We talk with creative, interesting people about the origins and popularity of the Miraculous Medal and about how you can help counter the terrorist assault on Judeo-Christian culture. Join us, sit back, and enjoy some free expression. Once again, Jonathan Feldstein is with us from Israel. He heads an organization called the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose primary mission is strengthening ties between Christians and Jews. War in Gaza has broadened the focus of that effort somewhat, living close to the theater of action and having family members serving in the Israel Defense Force. Jonathan's attention has been turned toward tangible needs created by the conflict. Jonathan, thanks for taking time from an incredibly busy schedule to let us know what's happening. Well, Bill, first of all, it's always a pleasure, really, and I mean that, to be in touch with you, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. And second, I think I said to you, you know, with the son in Gaza and the son-in-law just outside Gaza operating um, some uh, other combat units, uh, they're not sleeping well, and for most of the last few months, nor have I, and I decided that they have weapons, and my words are my weapons, so to the extent that I get to share with you, listeners, a little bit about what's going on, I feel like it's a bit of a national obligation. Yeah, well, you and I are speaking on the 3rd of January. Where do things stand right now? It's difficult to get a clear picture of the Gaza action over here in the U.S. It's, it's, we, we hear about successes. We hear about military successes, killing particular high-value terrorists, Israel taking over particular terrorist targets. Um, Honestly, it's, if not literally on a daily basis, it's awfully close. That's not rhetorical. That every day we're hearing more reports about uncovering huge weapons caches that are not just, you know, on the military base, but in kids' bedrooms and in schools and in hospitals and the, the huge network of bunkers and the hundreds of millions of dollars that were pilfered from what should have been humanitarian efforts to better the lives of two million Palestinian Arabs in Gaza that were used to build an underground network. Right. So we're hearing that. We wake up every morning, I think one day in the last number of weeks, there hasn't been an announcement at 6 a.m. of the death of at least one additional soldier. And this week, uh, the nephew of a friend and colleague of mine was also killed in, in combat. Uh, it's it's close to home, and yeah. I'm not getting a lot of operational stuff. We Tonight, I, I sort of religiously and obsessively watch the news at 8 o'clock where we're getting the day's recap and, and the intelligence and what the Army is letting out lets us know what's gone on that day. Right now, the big thing, yesterday, as, as we're speaking, the assassination of a major Hamas terrorist leader in Beirut, attributed to Israel. Israel has not taken responsibility for that, but certainly is is taking the blame. And everyone in Israel is on edge, whether on the Lebanese border or where I live, expecting that there will be other terrorist acts that are in retaliation. 
It's been rather shocking to me and had a lot of people here in the States to see how much support Hamas has generated here, especially on college campuses around the country. Uh, how is all of that viewed in Israel? Um, shocking. Shocking from the perspective, and I'm glad you said it the way you did, Bill. It's, it's not pro-Palestinian, it's pro-Hamas, which means pro-terror and pro-genocide. And it's being viewed in Israel with kind of dumbfoundedness, because there's a denseness that the world, not everybody, but many, too many, are ascribing Israel bad, Hamas good, which is profound in and of itself, genocide Israel versus perfectly normal to massacre 1,200 people, Hmm. including horrific crimes of burning people alive and gang-raping women and all kinds of other horrific things that took place on October 7th and kidnapping 250 people to bring them back to Gaza, where, where nearly 140 are still being held, as if that's all normal. So we're not understanding how on earth, it, literally how on earth it is that so many in the world have drunk this pro-Hamas Kool-Aid. Um, it's discouraging. It's very um, sad that we can talk about issues that relate to the war and conducting the war and limiting civilian casualties, which I think Israel does a very very good job at. And then we see the strikes, but seeing this pro-Hamas support, I'll give you one quick illustration. We moved to Israel almost 20 years ago from a small town in New Jersey called Teaneck, which is about 40% Jewish. Just this week, there's a video circulating social media of a pro-Hamas demonstration down the main road with hundreds of people in cars waving flags in their face, coming out of their cars and instigating threats against local residents in front of many of the Jewish and kosher establishments there. That's not a pro-Palestinian saving lives. That's a threatening of Jewish lives or anyone who supports Israel. And, and it's discouraging as intelligent Western people who think that even if we disagree with one another, we need to do so civilly. Well, tell us what Genesis 1-2-3 is doing right now in the aftermath of all this. Right away on October 8th, we launched an Israel emergency campaign. Anyone who wants information can go to our website, genesis123.co. We've launched a petition also available there for people with beseeching, and thank God we've gotten a great response from people in about 70 nations, to, to put the names on the petition, beseeching the world powers that they shouldn't be pressuring Israel for a ceasefire, but rather pressuring Hamas to let the hostages go. It's, it's an unspeakable crime and crime against humanity and war crime that that ever took place. Every day that that continues, the crime gets worse. So we're, we're asking people to sign that. Um, but the important thing is bringing Jews and Christians together. The day before Christmas, I had the incredible privilege on behalf of the Genesis 123 Foundation and so many donors to our Israel emergency campaign to give out hundreds of warm winter jackets right along the Lebanese border and right along the Syrian border to soldiers. It's cold. That's the northern Israel. And it's cold there now. And because they're reservists, they didn't all come well-equipped and well-outfitted, so they need jackets. And we were doing that the day before Christmas. There's a great video on our YouTube page showing how Jews and Christians came together to support these soldiers. And in their own words, many of them have just felt left out 
we're highlighting, and I think you and I have spoken about it before. I've certainly written about it. I think we're seeing something historic, not just that it's nice that Christians are supporting Israel and the Jewish people now, but we're seeing it at a historic level. And I don't mean that just since the establishment of the state of Israel 75 years ago. I mean it since the first century. And that's really heartening. And at least we know that we're on the right, that we're together and we're on the right side of this. Looking at this petition project, it's a little perplexing to me. I mean, who is the petition directed toward? Hamas certainly isn't going to be responsive, no matter how many names you get. <laughs> right. Dear Hamas, please let our people go. I'm glad you asked. We haven't decided when we're going to submit it yet. I'd like to get tens of thousands more signatures, because I do believe the more names on there from more places in the world will be even that more impactful, and, and even more important, because... Israel is getting increasing pressure on this, and I think many of the hostages, the issue of the hostages is getting pushed to the back burner. But it's going to the United Nations. It's going to the International Red Cross, which has been abysmal, absolutely abysmal in its advocacy for and protection of, of the hostages, even to the point refused to take medicine for certain hostages being held, who we know are in bad medical shape and were before they were kidnapped. So it's going to the International Red Cross. It's going to the heads of the G7, because these are the most significant countries in the world that need to be supporting Israel, and certainly, conversely, should not be pressuring Israel at this point. This is an existential war, not just for Israel, but for the West and Jews and Christians together. And lastly, it's going to the heads of, the I believe it was 27 countries, whose citizens were taken hostage on October 7th, saying, even if your nationals have been returned, dead or alive, you're part of this. Your citizens were also kidnapped and their, their rights violated that day. And you are part of this. And we're beseeching all of them not to pressure Israel, to let Israel carry out the war with two goals. Goal number one is returning all of the hostages. And goal number two is defeating Hamas so it can never do such a thing again. Well, where can people go to sign up on the petition or to explore a gift to your jacket project? Right. So all of that bill is available at genesis123.co, genesis123.co. There's a link to our Israel emergency campaign. There's a link to the petition. There's a link to even people can buy themselves a yellow uh, rubber bracelet that says bring them home now. So they put a little bit of action as well and and make this a conversation piece. And we're, we're trying to sell, we're trying to get churches and synagogues and all kinds of other community groups to buy bags of hundreds and just distribute them. Because we're, it's not even so much a, a matter of making money, well, recovering costs, but and net proceeds go to our, our emergency campaign. But we just want people to have this on their consciousness. It's the only thing that, not to get graphic, but when I shower in the morning, that's the only thing that I'm wearing. <laughs> and 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 I think others should should as well. I I don't really want to dwell on that image. <laughs> Jonathan Feldstein, the Genesis One Two Three Foundation in Israel. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with us. Always a pleasure, Bill. God bless you. In 1830, a French nun named Catherine Labouret experienced a vision in which the Mother of Christ asked her to arrange for creation of a pendant that would bear the image of the Virgin and be of great spiritual power. Today we know that item as the Miraculous Medal. It's worn by millions of Catholics around the world. 
I myself occasionally attend Mass at a nearby parish, Queen of the Miraculous Medal. But for all its prominence, a lot of people don't really understand what the Miraculous Medal is or why it's important to believers. Christine Watkins is attempting to provide some answers with a new book titled The Miraculous Medal, Pendant of Power. She's with us right now. Christine, thanks for taking time to help us appreciate the significance of this unique sacramental. You're very welcome. Let's start at the beginning. How did the medal come about? Well, as you said, the medal came about through Sister Catherine Labore, who was a novice in Paris. And in 1830, she had such faith. It's so interesting. One of her directresses gave all of the novices a little piece of cloth, a surplus of their founder, who was St. Vincent de Paul. So she had this second-class relic, and she decided to cut it in half and swallow half of it, (laughs) (laughs) like we always do with our relics, right? (laughs) And um, (laughs) she did this with the faith, uh, and almost a supernatural faith that led to a knowing that St. Vincent de Paul would intercede and ask God that the Virgin Mary should appear to her, which is unbelievable. But she had such faith. Her mother died when she was only nine, and she grabbed a statue and said, now you have to be my mom. So she was clearly with expectant faith this evening after she swallowed it on the eve of the feast day of St. Vincent de Paul. So she's in the mother house which is on a street called Rue de Bac, and the apparitions of Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal are now associated with that name, Rue de Bac. So she, at 11.30 p.m. that night, is woken up by a little boy who looks to be about four years old, and he's glowing, and he's carrying a candle, and he says, Come, Our Lady wants to see you. And she, she gets ready. She gets out of bed. And she's worried that she'll wake up other people or disturb other people. And the the little boy reads her thoughts and says, don't worry, no one's awake. And she realizes later that this was her guardian angel. Hmm. And he leads her down a hallway, which is automatically lit up by candles, and the door opens before him without him touching it. And she's led into the chapel, and the chandelier and the candles there are all lit as well, like it's a midnight mass. And she walks in, and a woman walks in, and she thinks it's St. Anne because she resembles a picture above on the wall behind her that is of St. Anne. And she sits down in this chair, which has a blue covering, a blue cloth covering. And the angel says something along the lines of, this is she, this is the Blessed Mother. And in that moment, Sister Catherine finds herself quickly, speedily, on her knees, right in front of the Blessed Mother with their hands on the Blessed Mother's lap. And she says that they had a conversation, and it was the sweetest moment of her life. There are no words to describe what it was like to be there with her. So a lot unfolds in this conversation. Our Lady gives several prophecies which came true about France and other things. That is not the moment when she asked Sister Catherine to have the miraculous medal made, but it happened four months later when, again, she's in the chapel, this time with the other novices and sisters. It's it's evening time, around 5 p.m., and suddenly Our Lady appears on a globe before her, 
and the earth is under her feet. She's also holding up a globe, and she has rings on her fingers, and light is streaming from gems on her rings. And then suddenly behind her, there is an oval that says, O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, that appears around her in a metal shape. We now know that it's an oval shape that she wanted the metal made in. And then this image turns around to show a backside, and you see around the edge 12 stars, an M and a cross, and two hearts of Jesus and Mary. And she wants a medal struck after this model and disseminated. It literally came down from heaven, and she said those who wear it, this medal, especially around their necks, would receive great graces. And those who wear it with confidence would receive greater graces. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. And what I found was that these miracles that have happened for almost 200 years since with people who've not only worn it around their neck, but used it in so many different ways, have received astounding graces. And Mary seems to be pushing this out in the world now rapidly and quickly because the book has been, like, off the, sh- off the shelf. <laughs> like, it's just gone crazy. It's called The Miraculous Metal Pendant of Power, and it has rave reviews from people like Father Chris Alar and Father Dan Rehill, exorcist Bishop Coffey, and it's just going like gangbusters. And, and all of this is telling me that she, what was in my heart is true, and I believe she placed it there, that she wants a revival. She wants people to be wearing this, to know about it, and to receive all the graces she has in store for them. Yeah, now some people would see this as merely, you know, sort of a piece of pious jewelry, but what is the Church's take on what it is, on what power it possesses? How does the Church view it? And the Church calls it a sacramental, and a sacramental is a visible reminder of a beautiful, invisible reality. In the case of the miraculous medal, it's the most widely worn pendant next to a cross or a crucifix. And why is it miraculous? Well, because you know, literally people have been saved from death. They've received miraculous healings when they've been very sick. They have conversions have happened to people who've put it on when, when there was seemingly no possible way they would ever accept Catholicism <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. And there's some famous conversions that, um, that helped spread the medal early on. Alphonse Radisbon, he was agnostic, very rich, part of, uh, connected to the Rothschild family. You have priests and a deacon I know of currently who are clearly been called by the Blessed Mother to receive miracles through the Miraculous Medal, and they're spreading it. So many great stories. Cars that have rolled over 17 times, the Miraculous Medal ends up on their laps, and they're just fine. Saved from rape, healing and deliverance. So the deacon that I just mentioned, he uses it in deliverance ministry and exorcism because it's kind of like a picador at a bullfight. If, if you put the miraculous medal on someone, bless them, and then actually say prayers on top of it, like the investiture prayer, you weaken the enemy, and then the troubadour shows up, who's Jesus, for the final kill. So this sacramental is so powerful, because this visible reminder, the Church says, of an invisible reality is quite real. It has to be blessed if it's a sacramental a physical one. And what happens is, if a person is wearing it, they don't, the demons around, the darkness around them does not 
be a medal on the person, right? It sees the Blessed Mother in front of the person. (laughs) So that demon or Satan is going to think twice about causing harm or disturbing the person. Now, when, uh, when people have claimed apparitions, there's always a process by which the Church evaluates them, and I would imagine that the same thing must have happened with Catherine Labouret. How did she get it recognized? She was thwarted at first in the Blessed Mother when she had her hands on the Blessed Mother's lap. The Blessed Mother told her that she would suffer very much in trying to get out the message, and she'd be contradicted. She'd have a lot of pushback. And sure enough, it happened. Her spiritual director and confessor was Father Jean-Marie Aladel, a, a young priest. And when she told him about the apparition, she said, I'll tell you, but you have to promise that you'll never tell a soul that it's me. And he promised because he didn't believe her. Um, he said what, you know, that she was being ridiculous and that she should serve the poor and stop imagining things. And she kept coming back and saying, this is, this is real, the Blessed Mother wants this medal, she wants me to tell you this. And at one point he got so upset with her, he called her a wicked wasp. <laughs> <laughs> and it was reported, people saw her going into the confessional to speak with him, and it was her job to try to convince him. Imagine how much pressure that is. Right. It's the medals for the world. The spiritual director, God's chosen for you, thinks you're a wicked wasp. And she started to tremble, like she would literally physically tremble going in there. At one point, she said, because Mary had just, she received um, interlocutions. She had three apparitions total. The third was kind of verifying what the second one had said about the metal. And after that, she would, always, she would often hear Mary's voice inside of her in her heart and in her prayers. One of the things Mary told her was that she was angry. She was upset that um, the priest or confessor wasn't listening to her. You can imagine how frustrated Sister Labouret was. So she said in one of these times that she was shaking going to the confessional, she said, the Blessed Mother is angry, and she knows you would not want to disappoint her. It was finally those words, there was like a, a marble stone silence after she said that. The father didn't say anything, he didn't reprimand her, didn't put her down, there was just silence. And it was that moment that something moved him to go to the Archbishop of Paris, Hyacinth Louis de Caelin was his name, and he explained what the sister was like without revealing her name, and he explained what the medal had on it in the apparition. And there are many details to the medal which support Scripture, which support the Church, especially since the words around it supported the Immaculate Conception, and it was actually... Oh, Mary conceived without sin, pray for us a recourse to the, the conceived without sin part was new in the Church, and that was only in the 1850s, 20 years later, was that a dogma that was pronounced that she was immaculately conceived. But it all fit with the Church, and the Archbishop was very pleased and wanted it disseminated, and then it went as high as the Pope. Pope Gregory had a medal and was supportive of it, so that's how it began in the Church. I have not read the book, but I have looked through the table of contents, which is very, very extensive. So you document all of these various stories, I'm sure. Yeah, there's 75 stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I it's, couldn't it's believe quite... how many there have been, and very long ones, which are just as exciting as the little ones. So how can people obtain the book? 
at queenofpeacemedia.com and on Amazon is where you can get the book, Miraculous Metal, Pendant of Power. Also, we're giving them to people for free along with an evangelization packet. You just pay for the shipping and the cord, and they're already blessed. So if you go to www.queenofpeacemedia.com, queenofpeacemedia.com is where you can get those as as well as the book. It's easier to get the book on Amazon because we got really swamped. (laughs) (laughs) But you can get the medals in bulk and get these evangelization packets with the flyer that make it easy to hand them out. And Queen of Peace Media is all one word. That's right. Christine Watkins, The Miraculous Metal Pendant of Power. A fascinating story, and I'm sure it'll be a great read. Thanks very much for taking time to talk about it. Thank you so much. Metal, Anna Nuzzo, 
from her album of Marian apparition songs, Pray For Us. Be with us next time when we explore other aspects of religious communication and look deeper into the great Christian heritage of free expression. Free Expression with Bill Castle is a production of Good Shepherd Catholic Radio and Company Publications, where good books, good music, and good radio are always good company. Dan Curis provided technical assistance, theme, and incidental music are by Dan Adam. The program was produced and directed by Bill Castle. This is Good Shepherd Catholic Radio.